Hi, CT Bites listeners. We're so happy you're joining us. We have missed you so much. It's only been a few weeks, but it feels like a lifetime. Okay, so for this episode, we're talking to Billy Grant. He is the chef and owner of Brico in West Hartford and the chef and owner of Brico Trattoria in Glastonbury. Do you like how I roll my R's, Steph? I sure do. Okay, so we talked about Billy's upbringing, which was literally in a restaurant. Um, Of course, we talked about baseball, and it turns out his first aspiration was not to become a chef. He wanted to get in the game with a certain baseball team in the Bronx. Wink, wink. He loves his family, he loves his community, and he loves to show his love with food. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Grant. Cue the sizzle. Chef Billy Grant, thank you so much for sitting down with us. You're welcome. I feel like this is the fake conversation because we were just knee deep in sports <laughs> and the Yankees and the Knicks and you grew up loving baseball. Yeah, I did. I grew up, um, <clears throat> I loved baseball and I, I loved food actually growing up. Well, you and I have a lot in common then. <laughs> <laughs> so born and bred in this fine state of Connecticut mm-hmm. and you found your footing in the kitchen. Yep. How did that come about? Well, um, when I grew up, my father had a fast food restaurant in East Hartford. Um, it's called Augie and Ray's on Silver mm-hmm. Lane. So my brothers and I have three brothers. There's four of us. So we grew up um, in a sports family, too. We all loved baseball, and my father coached, and, you know, we played in high school. And, you know, I wanted to, to coach baseball growing up. That's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to coach third base for the Yankees. No way! <laughs> I did. I did. Because, yeah, in high school, I was, um, so I was little in high school, so I wasn't, like, one of the star players. Mm-hmm. So I was one of the seniors who basically sat the bench. But the coach, the, the coach really loved me, so he had me coaching third base all year. So, nice. Yeah, I was, like, a player coach almost. For, uh, well, you got, to see, the, you got yeah. to see the game very yeah. differently. So it was good. But uh, my father had fast food restaurants growing up, so we all worked in the restaurants, you know, um, early on when we were 15, 16, yeah. you know, washing dishes and, and you know, it was short order cooking. And, um you know, I, um, the truth is I struggled with school. Um, I was a really good student, but I struggled, um, I struggled with words and letters. So spelling was hard for me. Reading was hard for me. Math was hard for me. And, um, you know, I struggled through that my, my whole life. And, um, and then when I started to work, I was a standout. So I was exceptional at work, even, even in the fast food restaurant, you know, I had a, just a work ethic that other kids just didn't have, you know? And do you feel like you were compensating for academically feeling so challenged? I, I think that, um, I think at that age, um, you're, you're searching to find something that, um, that you're good at, yeah. successful at. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so for me, you know, I loved sports, but I was really tiny. I had a hormone deficiency okay. when I was growing up. So, um, you know, I was in high school. I know this is personal, but no, please. I, I was in high school and I was, literally in the body of a 13 year old and, and not going through puberty. And I, I knew that something was off for yeah. me. So, um, so, so sports, I was falling short at sports because I was so tiny, you know, literally and figuratively. Yeah. Yeah. And so when work came along, I just, you know, I think I was just good at it and I, and I worked really hard and a lot of it was because, you know, it was pleasing your parents, you know, doing, right. you know, and, and the restaurant was important to us. It was our way of life, you know? Right. So, um, I was just super responsible at a young age. Wow. So you've come a long way. Yeah. You have come a very long way, <laughs> yeah, chef. I, have, I, have. I love so. it. And I think, you know, sharing that story about your stature, I think is so inspiring to so many people because we all face these obstacles yeah. and you figured a way out. Yeah. And I think, you know, 
I don't share that story that often, but I think, you know, for a lot of young adults, you know, I have kids that are now 25, 24 and Frankie's 15 and, and knock on wood, I have great kids. But I think a lot of people when they're teens are going through trying to find themselves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, for me, um, I, I really got lucky with, with work and with food and <clears throat> we lost our father, <clears throat> excuse me, my brothers and I, we lost our dad when I was in college. So, um, we lost the fast food restaurants. And, and at that point I had gone to work for my uncle who had a very nice restaurant in East Windsor called the eatery. And at that time, this was in the nineties, it was, you know, table side cooking and tablecloths and reservations and valet parking and that kind of thing. And completely different. Completely from the different. Yeah. yeah. And so that's where I fell in love with, with real food, you know, with scratch cooking and, mm-hmm. and, and that kind of thing. Cause everything with my father was, was shorter cooking fast food. So, mm-hmm. so there I, you know, I just fell in love with, with, with real cooking and scratch cooking. And I, one trip I went to New York and with the chef, we went to Gotham Bar and Grill and I was hooked after that. <laughs> so you obviously grew up knowing that running a restaurant is no easy feat. Yeah. But you had the support of your family. Yeah. Your brothers. Talk to me a little bit about that connection with your, with your brothers and how, what effect that has had yeah. on you as a chef and so, an entrepreneur, really. I don't think I would be where I, where I am without my brothers. You know, one of my brothers is a pilot. He works for um, Southwest Airlines, super successful and, and happy. My two other brothers, um, after the passing of my dad, um, they were more in the bar business and I was in the kitchen end. And um, so they were bartending and doing stuff like that. And they, they were more fixated on entrepreneurship and being in business for themselves. Mm. So um, they, they were searching for that. And we actually, the three of us went to a franchise consultant, I remember. And uh, it was like a franchise matchmaker. And what he proposed was this up and coming bagel business. And so um, my brothers were like, what do you think? You know, do you want to do this? And I was like, I wanted to stick with food. I wanted to be be a chef. You know, I I had already fallen in love with food. So Mike and Tony went on and opened up a bagel shop in West Hartford Center called Manhattan Bagel. And they made a couple other business ventures. They opened up two bars in Hartford and became pretty pretty successful between yep. the bagel shop and the two bars. And at the time, I was still working in kitchens with my uncle. And um, and then um, my uncle's restaurant hit a downturn. He put a big addition on, and um, it turned out that addition didn't 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 work. It wasn't successful. Right. So he lost the restaurant, and that's when I went to work for Richie Rosenthal at the Max Group. Sure. And I worked at the original Max on Main for a couple of years. And then I was the chef at Maximori in Glastonbury when they mm-hmm. first opened. And then fast forwarding a little bit, you know, my brothers were still in West Hartford and have the bagel shop and this opportunity opened up where Brico is now. So we looked at it and as soon as I saw it, I knew it was, it was going to be good for me. You know, yes. the size, the shape, the setup of the kitchen. So we opened and the rest was kind of history. You know, we were very lucky. And Up until that point. Had you dreamed of Brico? Did you know yeah. you wanted to open up when I a in, specific restaurant? Yeah. When I was in college, uh, I would draw pictures of, of how I wanted the restaurant to look and try to theme it out and stuff like that. Like I always knew that I wanted to be in business for myself and I knew I wanted to be in the food business. Mm-hmm. I knew that in, in, you know, in college. You were like Pinterest before Pinterest was yeah. a thing. You were making your vision boards yeah. back, at, and, back at college. And, you know, we got really lucky with, um, I mean, at the time... West Hartford Center was there was nothing there. Yeah, I remember when we went and met the landlord. It was like tumbleweeds going down the, <laughs> the street. I remember saying, "We're not going to have a parking problem here," because it was dead. Right, you know, right. there was nothing there. Gosh, and if you walk down there now, forget it. Business is bustling. Yeah. What do you do uh, to keep yourself sane when um, you're not in the restaurant and not raising children? Because even though you have kids in your twenties, <sighs> we're still raising them. I feel like at that age. Yeah, I mean, 
I still work a lot. You know, I, I try to take time for myself. Um, this last year, I've traveled a little bit, which was good. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to go to, you know, see other cultures. And, you know, I went to Colombia and... I saw. I took a deep dive into your Instagram. Yeah. I'm sorry. I saw you so, were in Cartagena. Yeah, in Cartagena. How was the food there? The Cartagena, the food was amazing. Amazing. Do you remember a favorite dish? Um, yeah, I think I liked the street food was was unbelievable. I mean, obviously, I got ceviche and octopus almost every day. <laughs> but uh, the street food, we went on a street food tour, yeah. which was incredible. And um, when we went through it, and the, the tour guide was like, most of the tourists don't go for the street food, you know? Right. I wonder when, as a chef, when you travel... Do you then come home with a new sense of, oh, I want to try that octopus or I want to try that? You know, did you do that? Absolutely. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, I do that a lot. Um, You know, just because, again, if you don't travel, if you don't get yourself out there, um, it's hard to see what everybody else is doing. I mean, yeah, you can be on Instagram and see what everybody else is doing, but it doesn't inspire you the same way as it does when you travel, at least not for me. Right, right. So super successful. Not many people can say that they've had a restaurant open since 1996. So how many years are we celebrating now? I'm terrible at math. 23. Congratulations. Holy smokes. And we haven't even gotten to the Trattoria in Glastonbury. So talk to me about that one. So Trattoria has been open, I think, uh, what, eight years now? Mm -hmm. And, um, very much like Brico, I mean, when I opened Trattoria, I felt that there was a stronger Italian community in Glastonbury. And we were a little deeper Italian when I first opened. Um, and and now the two restaurants are, I think, a little bit more similar. I had, I had just been on a trip to Italy as well. And, you know, the food in Italy is, is different than here. It's different than the Italian food here. It's, um, in Italy, things are much... Um, closer Mm -hmm. to where you're from um they don't travel as far for the ingredients as we do here you know they don't bring stuff across the country you know basically everything is 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 done in those regions and the recipes are very time honored um so i thought that's important for me i've always been um my early days at Brico, I was much more creative. I was much more cutting edge. I was much more um, of a risk taker, I would say. Um, always constantly trying new things and stuff. And over the years, um, I've fallen into more comfort foods and more time-honored recipes too, too because mm-hmm. I think that's what people have have grown to love over the last you know mm-hmm. couple of years. And is it, do you sort of take a step back and look back into your family, into your culture? Because I'm fascinated by sports and food yeah. and culture and i think even for myself as a home cook i'm puerto yeah. rican and mm-hmm. you know i'll make a pot of rice but it's the best damn white rice because yeah, that's what yeah. i grew up with you know i have this yeah. vision of my mom or oh, that sancocho you make too i love sancocho oh <laughs> did you have that in in cartagena or no yeah i did but i um i went with a friend of mine um a couple of friends and one of them is from the uh dominican, dominican republic mm-hmm. and i went to, to the dr for new year's too Nice. And, uh, yeah, to uh, La Trenas. And, uh, Listen and to so, Spanish. Yeah, what are you, so, chef? <laughs> so when we got back, her, um, they live in Florida, and her, her grandmother made it. And, it, yeah, it was amazing. So for listeners, Sancocho is a time-honored, com- it's yeah. comfort food for right. Latinos, mostly Puerto Rican and Dominican culture. Mm-hmm. It's this hearty soup that has usually yuca, yeah. corn, usually chicken. Yeah, chicken, um, pork, like oxtail, like a couple different meats exactly. with the bone on it. And oh, so my, now my stomach is crumbling. Yeah. <laughs> right. Little, but it is like, that's like, lime that's the avocado. comfort yeah, food. it's really good. So that, that to me is like, when I, when I look back at that and I'm in my, you know, tiny little kitchen or whatever, yeah. I feel like somehow the food is better. How does your culture impact your cooking? You know, same thing. I try to keep things so simple. There's a few recipes on our menu now that are from my family, you know, the meatballs and the way we make sauce and my mom's spaghetti carbonara. So, um, and, and I try to, after trips to Italy, I try to keep the restaurants as, 
as Italian American as I can. You know, I do move with the seasons. So as the seasons move, we try to bring in vegetables and fish and things that that are in season. You mm-hmm. know, because of course that's what they do over or all over Europe. Um, so we we do a lot of that, but I try to keep. You know, I try to keep the fusion stuff out. I try to mm. keep the flavors, you know, in the Italian market, in yeah. the Italian scope. Yeah. We were just showing me an article. Um, it was like an entire profile, an entire newspaper yeah. article um, that was published September 9th, 2001. Yeah. So tell me about that story, because that was obviously two yeah. days before so th- all of our lives changed. Right. That's when we opened up grants. And, um, you know, that was a super challenging period in my life um we had um been successful with brico and we saw this opportunity to open up grants in west Hartford center and the space was huge and it was set out to be an american brasserie like an american bar and grill type of thing and um construction took longer than it took um the building was huge um we overspent a lot on the build out Mm -hmm. so we were in really rough times like Brico was doing well and successful, but we had spent a fortune on grants mm-hmm. and, um, and you know, it opened up and it came out beautiful. And, um, and I think there was a lot of hype for us to open, you know, my career was, was doing really well at that point. I was, um, you know, really making myself a name for being, you know, um, a chef owner. And, um, and then this guy was, uh, the Northeast magazine was doing an article on me and they followed me for two weeks straight. I mean, nonstop. Two? So they two were weeks. in your house. Were they here in the morning? Were they like, they were, he was with me every moment. He said, if you're going to be in at seven, I mean, I did in the article, it says on the last day after a 17 hour day, I was there. He was with me the whole 17 hours. Holy smokes. Yeah. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, we go through the opening and then, uh, the article comes out, uh, came out that Sunday, which is actually, it was September 10th. The mm-hmm. article came out on September 10th and then 9-11 happened. So, um, you know, business like went right down into the right. tank for a couple of months. So it was a super ch- challenging time for us. But, you know, we weathered that storm and grants took on its own identity. And, you know, we had grants for 18 years, mm-hmm. was, which was a very good run for us. Yeah. And, you know, we recently closed up shop there a couple months ago. Yeah. And now a word from our sponsor. Norwalk Now, where businesses come together to bring you their city in real time. Experience Norwalk's vibrant dining scene from quintessential New England fare and locally sourced seafood to low country cuisine, prime steaks, Italian favorites, Mexican eats, and high-spirited drinking wells. Visit norwalknow.org and meet the talented chefs, restaurateurs, and barkeeps who continue to raise the bar of our local dining scene. For restaurant news, special events, Seasonal promotions and more. Visit norwalknow.org. I'm listening to you talk and, you know, I do a lot of observing of the world around me, especially when you you work with professional athletes and they're constantly challenging themselves and evolving from those challenges. And it sounds like that's something that you have done from a very young age, from the time that you talk about challenges academically. What motivates you to do all of this? Um... I know this is going to sound corny and cliche, but I always felt that I was here to make a difference. And I always felt that, um, that life is, is, um, you know, losing my father the way that we did and, and being his son and having his name and, and, and all of that. Um, I, I felt that life wasn't supposed to be wasted, you know? And so I always wanted to make a name for myself and, and make sure that I give back to my community and do everything I can to be the best person I could be. Um, I wasn't okay just just settling into mm-hmm. regular 
job nine to five. I, I wanted to control my own de- destiny and, 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 you know, live my life through my food the way I wanted it to be, you know? Yeah. So, which is also exemplified by all the charities mm-hmm. that you are a part of. Um, I was, I was trying to write down all of them and there are like 17 or 18 yeah. of them. Why, why those specific charities? Again, I, I think it, it, for me, it, it boils on to, um, to being comfortable with who I am and, and, and wanting to make that difference. Mm-hmm. And I was really lucky with the businesses that, um, that they were successful. So it provided me the platform or stage, if you would, to do good things, to give back and to do things like the Turkey drive or to do things like, you know, I've done a lot of, um, auction dinners where dinners auction off where I go to cook in people's homes and I think I'm doing one I'm actually doing one this Saturday and you know that that went to the children's hospital for like 14,000 wow you know and and is it work for me to do that yeah it's it's work for me to do that um it cost me some money to do that but um but I feel like I'm I'm doing something to give back and to make a difference and you know when I when I was a chairperson for Share Our Strength you know we we made a big difference you know when I took over the Taste of the Nation it was only doing like 20,000 20 thousand in Hartford and we took over and skyrocketed up to 80 90,000 you know Man. in the course of a couple of years so um so I feel the work that I've done um has been good you yeah. know and I feel I feel lucky that I had the opportunity to do that because I think a lot of people would love the opportunity to sure. to do that and but just don't have you know the resources to do it you right. know so right so I count my blessings that I was able to do that stuff I'm I'm super psyched for you that's so <laughs> exciting and we're also so we <laughs> We have a lot of firsts on this podcast. We've only been, we're, we're still toddlers, CT Bites Hot Dish. Um, but this is the first time we've been in a chef's home. Yeah. So thank you so much. It is taking everything in my power not to rifle through every single one of your drawers to see <laughs> which knives you're using. Talk to me about the, ki- the cooking that happens in this kitchen. So um, because I work so much, you know, I, I don't really cook on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I was, that's uh, what I was going to ask. Are you up making breakfast? Are no, you making like a bolognese? I mean, what? Day, I'm looking at that butcher block. I'm, well, if it can fit in my bag i'm taking it home the lake crusade oh my gosh i can't take it <laughs> yeah one day um one day when the grandkids come i think i'll stay home and cook all day right, right, right. but uh so um you know like i cooked on mother's day for my mom nice. and i cook on on the kids birthdays usually and and i'm cooking this weekend for a friend is having a birthday party here some just some friends and um so um you know i i try to cook for special occasions like that and then when i do cook i i try to throw down pretty good well, give me an example. When you're throwing, like, what did you make for your mother? I made raviolis and meatballs, and then we roasted some tenderloin and salad, and I do fried dough because my that's like a family tradition. Oh so I bring gosh. the pizza dough home from work and stretch it and fry it, dip it in sugar. What did you, what was, what was the filling for the ravioli? Uh, this was, uh, just cheese. Just, just cheese. cheese. Yeah, because the kids that, some of the, some of my brother's kids, they want to keep it simple, so... You say this like, oh yeah, I just made a salad. I suspect <laughs> if I asked someone for pictures, there would be a spread a mile yeah. long of, yeah. of delicious food. Do any of your family members say, Billy, you missed the mark this time. I don't know. That no. wasn't that Oh wasn't. yeah, once actually. No. Yes, actually once. It just, and is that person still invited oh to Christmas no, dinner? No, it just came up yesterday. It's so funny <laughs> that you said that. So yesterday... Um, the whole family went to Trateria. Um, Tony's uh, daughter turned 18 and his son turned 17. So we had a little family birthday party at Trateria. Congratulations. And, and my, um, my mom's sisters were all there. 
And so I'm doing a series of farm dinners and those farm dinners are going to start this month in May and they're up at Rosesberry Farm. And, and last year I did a dinner in, in October and it was at um, Crystal Ridge Winery. And I don't know if I themed the dinner or not, but it was a game dinner. And we had done wild boar pasta and we did quail and we did venison. That's, and, that's pretty right? strong to, right. to do a game theme. And all three of my aunts, three of my aunts came to my mom and they all hated it. No. Yes, they hated it. <laughs> They didn't like the wild boar sugo. They didn't like the venison and they didn't like the quail. And I was like, okay. So what do you do? You're like, sorry. Like, oh, no, they told me flat out. And so last night it came up because we were talking about the next farm dinner. And my aunt's like, I'm not going. If, you know, I want to know what's on the menu. The last one wasn't so great. But yeah, that's actually the first time that happened. That I'm, so, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry to ask, but I'm actually not sorry. Well, I won't make that mistake again. You're not going to get anything in your no, Christmas. No, we're having filet mignon Excellent. with blue cheese this time and Excellent. I think asparagus and, and halibut. So. Oh my gosh, that's that's pretty funny. Well, game is, is polarizing. People either love it or hate it. Yeah, and so th there's an underlining thing with that, I think, too. Um, and I, to be honest with you, I usually don't make that mistake very often. I think that like when I do special events, when I do, when I write the menus for work, when I do the farm dinners, when I, whatever, um, sometimes pushing creativity buttons or pushing buttons to force people into things that you may want to do for you isn't always the most pleasing for them, you know, right. you know, and yeah, there are certain restaurants that are super creative and, and serve tongue and, and all that crazy mm -hmm. stuff. And, and some people love it, but for the middle of the road, people, not everybody is exposed to that. Right. And especially like you said, you were from Puerto Rico. So people who are from other cultures are used to things like oxtail and bone meat right. and, and all those different things and tripe and all that stuff. But, but a lot of the American palate is, is just not ready yeah. for that. You know, they didn't grow up on that, you know, True. they didn't grow up on, on, uh, on that kind of food. So. And I, I always wonder about that with chefs and it's something I'm, I'm pseudo obsessed with. And it kind of relates to what I do for a living in, in terms of being, I call myself a recovering journalist, right? So morning television, mm -hmm. do you give viewers what they want or do you give them what they need to know right. as a chef? Do you give a game aside, you know, yep. the, the game theme aside, how do you find the balance? Do you give the diners what they want or do you give them like you had this delicious meal and you loved it and you, you got to try this because that's that has to be a tough balance. Yeah, and I think it's a soup. <clears throat> it's an important question and topic because I, I think every restaurant is different. Like I think it depends on where you are. It depends on the size of your restaurant. It depends on what you want to accomplish with your restaurant. Mm. There's obviously super super successful people who who open very boutique restaurants or very. Ex is exquisite restaurants that are constantly pushing the envelope and people love them for that. Right. And then there's also restaurants more like my, my, my restaurants are more, um, you know, mainstream Italian American. So mm -hmm. I think it's easier for the mass, you know, mass group of people to eat there. Right. You know, so I think it, it all depends on what you set out to do. Mm. Um, you know, when I was younger in my career, I'd always dreamed of having a little restaurant and serving only what I wanted to do. And it was all going to be fragua and truffles and <laughs> expensive mushrooms and oxtail and all the things that, that I wanted to do. That, that was like a little dream of my yeah. mind, even after I had Brico. But I fell back into, you know, delivering what the people wanted right. for me. And that was the smartest business sense as well. You know, business has gotten, has gotten harder and harder over the years um, to make profitability in these restaurants. It seems to get, you know, hard, each year it seems to get harder and harder, you know. Which is why when I think about 1996, my God, that feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah. And, and, and Brico's been open that long. Wh it was so much different then. How so? Back then, it was, to be honest, and it was just about 
It was just about the cooking back then mm. it, for me. Um, and that was enough. That was enough. Cook great food and make great food and, and people it. will come. And they did. And I think timing was perfect for me. Um, but today there's so much more involved, you know, a, the design of a restaurant, the, the, and I always had a great staff. Great staff is always important, you know, but everything from the wine list, from your, you know, having the right beers on your menu, from the, mm. having the right, you know, molecular cocktails and Instagram and social media and uh, having a publicist, which, you know, you know, to get your name out there, there just seems so much more to it. And, you know, creating specials like, you know, deals like I'm trying to think like a buy one get one three or, right, or right, what can right, we do right, special right. for the Kentucky Derby well they don't run the oh, Kentucky Derby right. in Italy yeah. you know but true, but true. it's like you're always because because there's so much more competition there's so many more restaurants like you know when I started out it's not just in the West Hartford area if people are familiar with West Hartford there's more restaurants all across the state oh for sure you know so you know and and Back when I started, I mean, they, I know there was Steve Cavanero from Cavies and, and Dino Chaffee from Peppercorns. But other than that, most of the chefs were relatively unknown. Mm-hmm. You know, the people who owned the restaurants, like Rich Rosenthal, everybody knew the restaurant owners, right. but they didn't know who the chefs were. Well, that's a good thing that that's changed over the years. People always want to know who is the chef behind the kitchen and all that. But it's just changed a lot. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because ever since I was a kid, and we didn't go out a lot growing up, partly because we were poor, but, um, I always wonder like, who's making this food? Like it almost felt like the wizard. Like there was a, there was a curtain and I wanted to push it back and see who was, who was doing all the yeah. stuff. Who are some of your friends in this industry? Oh um, gosh. Cause I know I spoke to our first podcast guest was Tyler Anderson. Yeah. And, uh, he's a good friend of mine and he's and a really uh, talented guy. Yeah. He's, he's great. And so who are, who are, who do you count as some of your, um, your compadres Nick, Nick or Man, comadres? Nick Mancini from La Tabla mm-hmm. was the chef for me for a long time. And Casey Ward, who has Rooster Company is still a good friend and somebody that I look up to that I think is doing great things with his restaurants, especially the vegetarian restaurant. Um, Jamie Bissonette and I, um, I mean, I've known Jamie. Jamie worked for me for a, for a few years at Brico, and he's done super successful. And Bradford Thompson is another good friend of mine who has a consulting company in New York and worked mm-hmm. a long time with Danielle. So, yep. But I'm friends with most of the chefs in the area. So, you know, I think the charity work that we've all done over the years has kind of, um, you know, at least in the greater Hartford area, has kind of kept us all together. Yeah. yeah. This may seem like a random question, but this is how my brain works. So I look at a place like West Hartford or I look, you know, where there's areas where there are many restaurants where yeah. there once were none or maybe just one. Is there ever a night where you're like, damn, we ran out of tarragon. Go call yeah. Joey from the restaurant yeah. across the street. Do chefs do that? Yeah, is it that happens. Like, yeah. Does yeah. It? Okay, yeah. thank you. Because yeah. I've, I've been thinking about like, what if they run out of lemons or yeah, garlic? So there is a camaraderie. Yeah, there's a camaraderie. I mean, just the other day, I think I, I have a friend of mine, Shane. She's the manager at Barcelona. I ran out of bread. I said, Shane, can we get a couple loaves of bread? <laughs> but yeah, that, that kind of thing happens. Okay, thank you for solving that mystery. Because that, yeah. that stuff like that keeps me up at night, believe yeah. it or not. What uh, what will you do next? I don't know. You know, um, that's a loaded question for me right now because uh, grants is still so raw for me. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that wasn't easy um, closing that restaurant after 18 years, you know, with your name on the front door. And um, so that was a super hard decision for us. <clears throat> but in the end, I think it was the right decision. Um, you know, it was big and, and it was it was pretty taxing on me. Um, but um 
you know, I'd like to do something else, but I think I want to take my time and find something that's the right fit. And, and it has to be a combination of, of me having the passion to do it. Right. And also it has to make business sense. Like, I don't think I want to do it for passion alone. Mm-hmm. Um, because over the years the restaurant business has gotten so hard yeah. and, and I'm content. I'm happy. I have a wonderful family. I have a nice life. Um, I work hard. I have two restaurants that are doing well. Um, do I need another one? No, but I, I don't see myself sitting idle for too long. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to just see if the right opportunity comes along, you know? Well, we'll be rooting for you. <laughs> right. Just don't have a game night and invite your aunts because that would no, be... No, that, <laughs> that was something else. But I do look forward to whatever your next... Your you next have to come event. to the farm dinners. The farm dinners are pretty special. Yeah. They're up at Rose's Berry Farm. Okay. I, I think the information's up on the website too. It um, might be, I think. Yeah, and... Uh, it's just a beautiful scene up there and we always do a nice job and it's, it's really good up there. Okay. Yeah. Ran- other random question. Have you seen how the internet was broken with the Aperol spritz? No. Okay. So a New York times writer literally blew everyone's mind by going on record and saying the Aperol spritz is the worst drink ever. I- I've never seen my social media. Feed. He's got to go to it- Venice. I've well, I- have you ever had an Aperol? Yeah. Spritz? I- when Venice, it's all I drank in Venice was Aperol spritz. I still have them. And you still like them? I love them. Okay. I just, I, I'm doing this little, very unscientific yeah. poll for people who are actually in the industry. Yeah. And you're going on the record by saying. I yeah. love them. Okay. But I love the Campari and I love Aperol. I love the little bit of bitters, you know. Okay. I love the Negroni. So, yeah. Do you know I've never had one? Oh, God. I know. I know. Boss lady. I'm sorry. What have I been doing with my life? I've never. Can we. Let's just go to Venice. Yeah. Let's go to Venice. I've, I have two and, hours free. Yeah, let's, let's just get, get on the private jet. Okay. Phew. Chef Billy Grant, thank you so much. And thank you for inviting us into your home. My pleasure. I really, really appreciate it. And we look forward to all your ventures, Aperol Spritz included. Yep. Thanks for listening to the podcast, CT Bites Hot Dish. Don't forget to go to iTunes and like us, subscribe to us. Go on our social feed. You'll see pictures of this strapping fellow and and all the rest. And don't forget to tune in next time. And now a word from our sponsor. Norwalk Now invites you to experience a city on the move featuring a melting pot of food cultures and truly unique dining destinations located throughout the coastal city of Norwalk, Connecticut. From quintessential New England fare and locally sourced seafood to low country cuisine, prime steaks, Italian favorites, Mexican eats, and high-spirited drinking wells, Norwalk Now is thrilled to introduce you to some of the best restaurants in the county. We invite you to visit NorwalkNow.org and meet some of the talented chefs, restaurateurs, and barkeeps who continue to raise the bar of our local dining scene. Get the most up-to-date restaurant news, special events, happy hour details, seasonal promotions, and so much more at NorwalkNow.org, where businesses come together to bring you their city in real time. You can also check out their events on Instagram and Facebook at NorwalkNow.